This is our third session on Philippians 2, 5 through 8, one of the most important passages in all the Bible on the two natures of Jesus Christ, his divine nature and his human nature. Let's pray for help in this deep water. Father, we are wading, <laughs> we are swimming, we are being thrown into the deepest end of the pool of reality as we try to grapple with Christ and his two natures. So teach us, O Holy Spirit, guide our eyes, guide our thinking, guide our affections so that we might discern what is really here, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have this mind among yourselves. So this whole amazing section is to help us have a certain kind of humility. This mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, I put these Greek words in here so you can distinguish it from this other one down here, who being in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant or a slave, being born in the likeness of humans and being found in form as a human, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And in the last session, the previous session, we talked about form of God, not meaning merely like God, but not God, but found out that equality with God not being held on to shows that form of God does not exclude equality with God. Very God of very God. It's like Colossians 1.15 where he says, He, Jesus Christ, is the image, that'd be like form, image, of the invisible God. And then a few verses later in chapter 2, he says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So image, but not image in a sense that excludes deity. And similarly, I'm arguing that form, but not form in the sense that excludes equality with God. But he emptied himself, taking the, and now we have the same word, morphe, morphane, form of a servant. And I would argue the same thing. This is form of a slave, but not excluding real equality with the servant. Jesus really did take on human servanthood. He took on human nature, and calling it form here no more excludes human nature than form here excluded divine nature. However, somebody might say, well, what about this word likeness here? It looks like Paul's only saying he's like human. He wasn't really human. He, he was only like a human. It's really important to notice here in Romans 8.3, this same word used in a similar context. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, sending his own Son, 
So he's sending him. He's, he's there with him before the creation, sending his own son in the likeness of likeness of sinful flesh. So what I'm suggesting is that when Paul uses the word likeness of man, he means to draw our attention to the fact that he can't be completely like man because man is sinful. All human beings have fallen. So when he wants to identify him as human, he says in the likeness of humans, meaning excluding his sinfulness, not excluding his humanity and being found in form. I wish we had another word because it, 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 these two words are morphine, but this word is schemati, and I think is almost a synonym with likeness, homoyomati, likeness, form, because here it's likeness of humans, form of a human, as a human, being found in form as a human, similar to form of God, but not excluding equality with God, form of human, but not excluding identity to human, likeness to human, that is, very man of very man. And we can see Paul say that here in 1 Timothy 2.5. There is one God, one, there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, to really emphasize that in being a mediator between God and man, he became man, not just like man, but man. And the reason the word likeness is here used and, and form is here used is to distance Jesus, not from humanity, but from sinful humanity. So the upshot so far then is that we have seen Christ revealed as equal with God in the form of God, not excluding equality with God. And we have seen Christ taking on the form of a servant, not excluding the very essence of the servant and being in the likeness of humans, not excluding the reality of humanity. And, and so the question then is, well, what did he empty himself of? It wasn't deity. That's almost inconceivable. It is inconceivable, but we shouldn't <laughs> let mere logical inconceivabilities govern us entirely. We should be open to whatever the text says. The text doesn't say he emptied himself of deity. In fact, here's a clue. John 17, 5, Jesus is praying. And now, Father... Glorify me in your own presence. In other words, he's about to die, rise, and return to the Father. Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So I'm arguing that there is a kind of glory that Jesus laid aside. 
Here he was in the form of God, equality with God, fully God, very God, radiant with God. Like it says here in in Hebrews, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he brings some of this radiance with him because it says in John 1.14 that we beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. But he also prays, Father, there is a glory that I enjoyed with you before I laid it aside and came to earth so that I could suffer and die. And I ask that you now restore that. So that's what I'm saying. He emptied himself of this prerogative of a certain kind of glory with the Father from all eternity in the fellowship of the Trinity and temporarily laid it aside for the sake of incarnation that he might humble himself become obedient unto death, even death on a cross, which is, of course, our only hope. And so this is a mammoth lesson when he says, have this mind among yourselves, which Jesus had when he went that low for us from that high. 